Blog Talk Radio. Hi, Tennis. This is Harriet calling from Paris. Well, hello, Harriet. How are you this afternoon or evening? Well, I'm doing good. Actually, I got out of the airport and I have arrived 10 minutes ago. Believe me, I was in the taxi cab. You know, there are some strikes here in France right now. And I was really worried that I wasn't going <laughs> to arrive on time because my flight was an hour later. But everything's fine. I'm here. Well, I hear you loud and clear. And thank you so much. I mean, it's okay if you would have been running a little late. It happens, especially when you're doing international calls. But you are calling us all the way from the beautiful city of lights. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us this evening. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm really happy to be here. Well, Miss Harriet, I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed your film, King of Kings. And uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of the, the making of the film and such, I want to tell everybody that King of Kings is doing very well on the film festival circuit. Uh, it's been screened at the recent Pan-African Film Festival, the Anchorage International Film Festival, the Chicago Award it received for the Chicago International Film Festival. And next month, King of Kings is an official selection at the Beverly Hills Film Festival, which will be April 17th through the 24th. Now, Harriet, your film... King of Kings takes an in-depth look at the life and legacy of your grandfather, Edward Jones, a multi-millionaire businessman, policy numbers game uh, businessman during the Depression era Chicago. And I mean, the story has all the ingredients of what makes a good film. It's got love and violence, success, the mafia, (laughs) prison, kidnapping, (laughs) murder, good-looking people. But this film is not a fictitious Hollywood story. This film is about your own grandfather, Edward Jones. So tell us, who was Edward Jones? You're absolutely right. That This is what is so crazy, because everything is true. And it looks like uh, it goes beyond fiction. So basically, my grandfather, he was from Mississippi. He left Mississippi and went to Chicago because his family got threats from the Ku Klux Klan. And he took in Chicago a nickel and dime business, and he really built it into a multi-million dollar enterprise that ultimately will become the state lottery. So like you said, it's really an amazing story because through his life, through his journey, we're going to go through all the major events that happened in the U.S. during those 60 years period. And I also want to add that the great Quincy Jones and the great Debbie Allen are the executive producers of King of Kings. And so before we go back to the the nuts and bolts again of the story, tell us how did Quincy Jones, who is seen throughout the film, how did Quincy and Debbie get involved with this film? Well, Quincy, actually, it was quite easy because Quincy's father used to work for my grandfather. He was the carpenter for all the Jones brothers. So actually, when I started working on the documentary, I reached out to Quincy and I asked him, would you agree to do an interview? And he was amazing. He said yes immediately. Actually, he had always kept in touch with my mother. 
So each time I go to Los Angeles, I see him. I just spent a week with him when I was at the Pan-African Film Festival. I stayed with him for a week. And it was like the most amazing week you can imagine. Just spending time talking about films, talking about everything. So that was fantastic. And uh, Debbie, actually, I met him through someone whose name is Johnny Simon. He's a film director, photography. And uh, he, I had shown him the, I had done a teaser and he said, oh, you've got to meet Debbie. And I actually met Debbie uh, five years ago. And from the moment she saw the teaser, she said, this story is absolutely amazing and I want to be part of this adventure. And she's been part of it ever since. I was very lucky to have both of them with me. Oh, you really were. And what an adventure it, it's been. I understand that it took you 10 years to put this all together and bring it to life. So tell us about some of that journey. Well, that sounds actually pretty pathetic that it took me this long. But if you consider the fact that I live in Paris, in France, uh, of course, like many film directors, you cannot just work on your film because you need to do often other works to make money, to live, etc. So I had two other jobs I've been working on. And so I would, each time I would raise enough money, I would go and shoot, then I would come back, etc. And of course, the post-production took a little bit of time, the editing and all. But those 10 years went really quickly, even though it felt very long. But it's often the journey of uh, people that make documentaries. It's part of the journey. It takes a long time. First of all, the research took a long time. I had the chance, I was very lucky also there, to be working with someone who is in Chicago. She's a tap researcher who actually won a bunch of Emmy Awards for her research. Her name is Pat Lofthaus, and she uh, did a lot of research. She's the one who found all those amazing archival images that you see in the film. So it took a while, but uh, the result is here. <laughs> Those animated sequences, Harriet, are just beautiful. And they just, the tapestry just blends right into the storyline. I, I just love the way you guys did that. It's just beautiful. Oh, Janice, thank you so much. You know, for me, it was very important for that the film had the the, the sense of a thriller, I have children and I wanted to make sure that my children and young adults in general wouldn't be bored watching a documentary. I didn't want to have talking heads and just have one interview after the other. So that's why the pace is really fast that I put those archival images. Uh, the person that did that is a French guy whose name is Christian Verrubman. And he's amazingly talented. He's done some feature films, really huge budget films. And basically anything that I couldn't tell through pictures, through newspaper clips, through interviews, I did it through those uh, animated sequences. And it really gives the feeling of a film noir. And that's what I was looking for. It does, because some of those sequences, it's like, you know, like a, a big video game is about to start or something. So I know the younger people will really love that aspect of it. It's so cool how you did that, how you guys did that. <laughs> well, okay. Well, thank you. Well, now, Harriet, your dad, your granddad, your grandfather, okay, he was a major, major, multimillionaire, again, numbers runner, 
person, that businessman during that era. Now, you know, is he viewed as a Robin Hood or as a gangster? Because he did a lot of good work with that money with helping the black communities of Chicago back then. So how how should he be viewed with, with what his life was about? Well, uh, definitely in the film, Quincy calls him a Robin Hood because during the Depression, he did take care of his community. He uh, created him and his brothers and also other policy kings, but the fabulous Jones brothers, that's the way they were called, created at the time over 10,000 jobs. So you can imagine doing segregation uh, during the Depression. I mean, it was such tough times. That was quite amazing. But more than that, he allowed people to go to, he sent a lot of people to college, he uh, put money into a lot of businesses, he allowed, uh, like, sports person like uh, Joe Lewis to start his career. I mean, he became, after, of course, the world the champion of boxing. I mean, he really was there for the community because it was thanks to the community also that he became such a rich man. So it was like a virtual circle. At the same time, he can also be called a gangster or an outlaw because the game was illegal at the time. It only became legal years later in 1974 when the government took it over, changed a couple of things and turned it into the state lottery. But when it was in the hands of African Americans, it was an illegal game. So of course, he was an outlaw doing something illegal. And one of the business uh, men that he helped of many was uh, John Johnson of Johnson Publications, Ebony Jet. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's very correct. That was one of the many persons that he helped. But of course, uh, he became so famous because between Ebony, Jet, etc., he's actually, I think, the first African-American that was cited in Forbes uh, in the top 40 top earning men. Is it good to say or safe to say that during that era that your grandfather was probably or could be said the most powerful African-American men in the whole state or, or maybe even the whole country at that time? Well, for sure, in Chicago, in Illinois, definitely. Uh, there is this saying that the mayor would say if people would go to him and ask them questions, they would say, go and ask Ed Jones. Uh, he was extremely influential. He's the one who uh, allowed the city to go from Republican to Democrat. Actually, he was a uh, uh, he, to get the votes, to get blacks to uh, vote for the Democratic uh, Party, he made the whole shift. Uh, he was extremely influential, of course, with politicians, with judges, etc. The fact that he was so wealthy and so successful, of course, increased all his influence. And that that uh, kind of, as we say in this times, bad boys, so to speak element of his life made his life even more intriguing and dangerous. I mean, I was just on edge with some of the scenes and some of the, you know, as the story was <laughs> unfolding, I was just so afraid. I don't want to give away too much. Um, but <laughs> but why do you suppose that your grandfather's story has not been told or has not been, you know, or, you know, out in books and, and what, or have, has, have there been any books about it? 
Well, actually, no, there haven't been any books on my grandfather. And actually, I'm finishing a book. I've been working on the book for five years. So it's taken me a little less time than the documentary, but it took me a long time. Uh, well, that's a very good question, Janice. There should be books on my grandfather. There should be books on the policy kings. There is a fantastic book from uh, Nathan Thompson, which is called Kings. And actually, a lot of information you can find in his book, and it's really a fascinating book. And he's working now on the second uh, version on the follow-up. But you see, when I went to the museum of uh, the Chicago History Museum, there is absolutely nothing on the policy business, nothing on the policy kings, absolutely nothing on the fabulous Jones brothers. Uh, well, there was a time where you had a lot of things on, let's say, Al Capone, on the uh, Tip, the Untouchables, etc. But things that related to African Americans were not really put up front. And that's why it is so important for us to be telling these stories. It's very important. It's part of American history and people should know about it. It's very, it's an essential part of their history. And I do, again, I don't want to give away too much of the story because we definitely want people to see this film. Uh, your grandfather encountered uh, Sam Giancana. That that's that's what scared me when I saw that portion of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yeah, actually. He was absolutely, he met him in jail. So I'm giving in a little bit of the, but uh, they did meet in jail. And actually, uh, Sam Chakana is going to become so powerful. He's going to become one of the bosses of the outfit. The outfit is what you called in uh, Chicago, the mob. And uh, that's what also makes it such an interesting and wild story, because all this is going to be against the backdrop of the mafia. So you have the corruption of the government going on. You have the mafia. It's the time of Al Capone and of the other bosses, etc. So there is a lot of shooting. There is a lot of explosions. There is a lot of things going on. That's why it also is this great epic gangster film. It really is. And I am such a fan of gangster mafia films. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, your film not only is King of Kings uh, entertaining, it's very educational because these are facts. These are actual facts that happen, you know, in America. And so I, I really encourage as many people as possible to see this. Well, tell me, Harriet, I understand that in the beginning of the film, there were a lot of your relatives and the younger ones, and they were saying that they didn't know this part about your grandfather. Why do you suppose that his real story uh, was so unknown among family members? Or, or did they know it and just not talk about it? No, that's why I went into this journey of making this film. It was a completely untold story, Janice, within the family. So it wasn't told within the family and knowing the Chicago, knowing the U.S. So it's really an untold story. The reason why my mother kept it quiet, I think, uh, first of all, there were a lot of things that she didn't know, but there were a lot of things that she did know, but she didn't want to talk about it. Was it that she was ashamed? I think it's much more complicated 
that night because she has so much love and admiration for her father that uh, that would be too short of an explanation. But the fact that he did something illegal, I think, uh, made her uncomfortable. On top of that, it was also a generation, you know, men at that time didn't really speak with their children about what they did as a child. They didn't speak that much with their wives, you know, about what was the occupation. So it was an untold story. Me, myself, I only found out about when I was 17 years old. I left Europe and I went to study in Chicago at Loyola University. I arrived at 17 and actually I met someone who was a student also. He's the one who is the judge in the in the documentary. He became a judge afterwards. And uh, he's the one who told me, listen, he came to pick me up and he said, are you related to Lydia Detrachons? And I said, yeah, they're my grandparents. And he's actually the one who told me about the jail, the kidnapping, I mean, the whole thing, the state lottery, etc. I mean, it was completely wild. I couldn't believe it. And then I started digging. Now, so you have wanted to do this film, uh, I mean, what was it that really sparked you? Uh, was that when you were 17 and you first found out about it or, or later? Actually, uh, I studied film, so I did my, I got a master's from film uh, from uh, New York University. I did a bunch of short films, but you know, I didn't go immediately into telling this documentary, into telling the story of my grandparents, because first of all, I wanted to do fiction, so I worked in fiction for a long time. Uh, I did a feature film which was completely fiction, etc. But the story was always in the back of my head. And you know, you have to authorize yourself to go into that. And I think it asked of me to be a little bit brave because I knew it wouldn't make my mother too comfortable. I knew I would be like uh, going and asking questions perhaps that wouldn't make a lot of people comfortable in Mexico because there is the family of George who's still there, except, I mean, you know, you're digging. So I needed to go probably and become a, a little bit older to be able to tackle this story. And I'm glad actually that I did. And I'm almost glad, even though it took so long, that it took me this many years because actually I went deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, the more interviews I did, the more doors it opened, the more I could go and found out new stuff. And that's why the documentary is so rich and intense. And what, this is my last two, I'm going to say last two questions. I, I'm just so fascinated by the whole film. I know I've got some more, but the two main questions that I really want to know What's been the reaction from family members? You have family members all over the world, actually, here, Mexico City and Paris and America and probably other places I just don't know about. So what's been the reaction from family members? Well, actually, you're right. We spread all over the world. Uh, my father's from Spain. I have my sister that lives in Madrid. Uh, another of my sister lives in Australia with all her family, etc. So we really spread in a bunch of continents. Uh, the reaction was absolutely amazing uh, because they learned so many things. All my, my children, my nephews, like you could see in the film, I have a very big and extended family. So the ones who saw the film, it was like, wow, we had no idea. We couldn't believe that that happened. They were completely amazed. And my mother, actually, she couldn't come to Chicago when it was 
shown at the Chicago International Film Festival because she had gotten an operation. So she saw it. I went, she lives in Miami. I went to Miami and showed it to her. And so when she saw it, the first screening was like, oh, I was really freaking out. I don't know if you can say that in English, but uh, I think she took a lot in. And actually now she's seen the film eight times and she oh. adores it. Uh, it's sent her links and she's been showing it to all her friends that come to the house, etc. And she, she really, really loves it. And most of all, you know, Janice, I really feel that my grandparents, I think, are looking at it from up there and uh, at least their place is back in the world. I think they, they must be very happy that this film exists, that the story has been told, you know, my grandmother with the cotton club, with all her journey with Josephine Baker, etc. It's there, it's on screen for everyone to see it. And as you know, Harriet, I'm probably, as no, probably to it when I hang up from you later tonight. I'm going to go back and see it for this will be my third time. It is just that good. <laughs> I just enjoy it. And to further speak of Josephine Baker, uh, she was friends with your grandfather and grandmother. Um, she, we see video. Well, more than friends. Mm-hmm. More than friends. Actually, my grandmother was a dancer. She started dancing when she was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And she went to France with Josephine Baker. And they danced together in La Revue Next in 1924 in the Théâtre des Champs-Élysées here in Paris. And they were roommates. So they became friends long before my grandmother met my grandfather at the Cotton Club in 1931. So after my grandfather, of course, uh, paid for her, her uh, when she toured in the States, etc. And they saw each other all through their life. And it's amazing because I live here in France and Josephine Baker is such a star here, Janice. I mean, she, of course, went into the Pantheon. I mean, she's such a big deal. And the fact that my grandfather founded his his Saturnée in the States is really huge. The fact that my grandmother was her roommate, that they danced together, is really quite amazing also. It sounds like they were like sisters almost. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but actually my grandmother was a little bit more subdued, more, how can I say that, uh, more shy. From what I understand, uh, Josephine Baker with all her talent, etc., she was extremely extraverti. She was like uh, really fierce and amazing, etc. My grandmother was much, much more shy. More shy. Well, now, has the film uh, been screened in Paris yet, or are there plans later on, or what? No, not yet. I just did a screening for the crew because, uh, of course, I had some amazing people working on the film with me. So only the crew has seen it. Uh, I'm looking for a distributor. So we're talking with a lot of people. Uh, it's really, we, we're going to see what's going to happen. Uh, like you say, I'm going back to Los Angeles to be at the Beverly Hills Film Festival. And after, actually, it's been also selected at two other festivals in April. So one, it's official, it's uh, the Julian Dubuque uh, International Film Festival, then another one, which is not official, so I'm not allowed to say it. But it's amazing what's happening with the festival, because so far we've done four festivals. It's one each time in every festival. 
So we've been very, very lucky and blessed. You really have been. Oh, my goodness, you have. That is so deserving, very much deserving. I've got really for real now two last questions here, and I'm being just extremely nosy. What About how much money or, or estimated worth would you say your grandfather would be worth in today's market, money-wise? Wow. That's uh, that's an interesting question. At that time, they said that they were worth $25 million, but that was in the 30s and 40s. Put together in today's money, probably, I would say, half a billion, something like that. It was really, but really, really huge. They said that there was money coming out from all the closets. They had 25 bank accounts. They had four hotels. They had apartments and buildings all over Chicago's south side. Of course, they had it in Paris. They had houses in Mexico. I mean, it was huge. They had paintings from Diego Rivera, etc. I mean, it was really huge. So, Harriet, what happened to all that fortune? I mean, is it just, and I, again, I'm being nosy, is it just distributed among the family or, or just, or is that a sequel for the next film project <laughs> or what? No, you know, very often when there is that much money, the money disappears. Mm -hmm. Basically, when my grandfather passed away, he did a will, a real uh, will, I mean, with notary, etc. And he gave everything to my grandmother. And actually, he gave peanuts to my mother and her two brothers. Everything went to my grandmother. But my grandmother, first of all, she was in complete shock with, his, with her death. Mm -hmm. It was the man of her life. She was no businesswoman whatsoever. And basically, she let the brother of my grandfather, uh, he, who was the trustee of the will, take care of everything. Oh. So between him and the lawyers, the in what, five, six years, the entire fortune disappeared. My grandmother for everything really got, I'm not going to say, I mean, people have to see the documentary, mm -hmm. but she got such little money. So that's part also of the story because it's amazing. There was so much money normally. It should have gone on for like five or six generations to say the least. If the money had just put in the back and if we had just lived out of the interest. But no, it was in six, five, six years, it was gone. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But it sounds like everybody is doing fine. Uh, but just still, you know, like you said, that should have lasted been generations to come. Uh, and I want to also note that your grandfather, uh, Edward Jones, passed away in 1964. So to further speak of sequels and such, oh, Harriet, please tell me that there is talk about this becoming a Netflix miniseries or Hulu miniseries or somebody's <laughs> miniseries. Please tell me that. Well, you know what? From the very beginning, I've had that in my head because I wanted to do the documentary. That was essential for me to tell the real story with the pictures, with the real people that met my grandfather, etc. And that is done, and I'm so happy. The next step is definitely the series. And actually, uh, actually, we in discussion with the one of the extreme so we'll see and let's hope it's gonna happen because it really deserves to be told there are so many things that I uh 
that gets just taken and uh, tell in the in the mini series. Yeah. It will be absolutely amazing. The book is already 367 pages, so you can imagine. Oh my goodness! I hey, I'll be waiting at Barnes and Noble because I still like to have the books in my hand. I mean, it's okay to read online and all that, but I want the book in my hand. So I will be waiting for your book. About what, what do you think it'll be up by next year or so? Oh, yeah, definitely. Actually, I finished it two weeks ago, oh. but I have, in France, to the, you say, j'ai trop le nez sur le guidon. Basically, I've worked so much on it that I've asked three of my friends to read it, and then I'm going to do one last rewrite, and then I'll have, uh, hopefully, publish it. Since it's going to be my third book, I still owe a book to my publisher, so he'll be the first one to read it. And then if they pass, we'll see. But uh, yeah, believe me, Janice, I will send you a copy. I'm like you. I love to read, and I still love to read in books. Oh, That's really my passion. You. I cannot wait, Harriet. I cannot wait. Well, now, lastly, uh, I know the film King of Kings Again, the documentary, is making and doing very well on the film festival circuit. I, there are so many friends of mine who want, because I've sent the trailer, and they're like, well, how can I see it? How can I see it? So is there a website or those social media handles? What, what do we need to do for these nosy friends of mine and others? Okay. So first of all, they should come on. Uh, I already have the date. It's going to be screened at the Beverly Hills Film Festival on April 22nd. Okay. So it's a Saturday. They should all come in, uh, all those, of course, who are in the Los Angeles area. So they will be able, it's going to be screened in the Chinese theater. It's going to be an amazing screen. So anyone who's in California, in Los Angeles, they should come. And otherwise, well, they're going to have to wait until I have a, a deal that's that is done. So for the moment, they're going to have to be a little bit more patient or have to, they'll have to see it in the different festival where the film has been selected. Uh, but believe me, I've had, since it's been screened in uh, Chicago and in Anchorage, etc., I've had so many people, even in festival, telling me, we want to be, can universities have asked me for the screening, if they could screen the film, etc. So I said yes to two of the screenings in um, Northeastern University and in uh, another museum in Chicago. But then I said, no, we're going to have to wait until I have a real distributor. But so it will happen. They just need to be patient. And in the meantime, come on April 22nd. To Beverly Hills. And there's always a great excuse to go to Beverly Hills. So this is a good one right here. So in the meantime, um, is there a website for the film yet or what? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. I got carried away. There is a no, website, no, okay. there is an Instagram, and there is a Facebook. So basically, it's, I think, King of Kings film or the film or something like that, or uh, Thierry film. Uh, if they look for it, they will find it. There is also an Instagram, and uh, I'm really bad with social media. So I Me don't too. know if there is a lot happening. Mm-hmm. But they will know about the screenings in the different festivals, etc. They they will have a lot of information. They'll be able to see the teaser and all. So really do go and check the website. Definitely. So, and I will I will look up and make sure I have all of that uh, on our website exactly. and also our pages as well. So, once again, just a fascinating film documentary, King of Kings, Harriet Marin Jones, and you are the director. You're also a very talented producer and writer. 
I have enjoyed running my mouth with you these last 30 minutes, Harriet. Thank you so much um, for, for this film. Thank you. I'm the one. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be talking to you. And I can see the passion of you uh, with the film. And it's so fabulous because as a filmmaker, that's what you want, okay. you know, for the audience to get it. And it's so fabulous when you see that. And that's what happened also when we screened it. People were like standing up. It was like standing ovation. It was really amazing. And you feel blessed as a director when that happens. Oh, I can only imagine. So I'm going to, I'm not that far away. I'm over in Las Vegas, not that far from LA. So I'm going to see, can I just sashay over there for the Beverly Hills Film Festival on April 22nd and see the film big screen with you and the rest of the crowd there. So, uh, hey, I look forward to meeting you in person at the Beverly Hills Film Festival next month. Well, me too. Really looking forward to meeting you in person. Definitely come and see me yes. before and after this screening. Yes, I will. So I know you just landed, uh, and you're, I know about international travel and such. You, you're probably tired, but thank you for such an energetic and wonderful film, and congratulations on the success of it. Thank you so much. And looking forward to meeting you on the 22nd. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, take care then. Bye-bye. You too, take Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.